It was much more of a personal journey than a professional journey in terms of starting Storytellers because I've regretted for way over 10 years that I didn't record my grandparents' stories. And I have been thinking ever since about why I didn't do that, even though I had that intention and why so many other people uh, don't record the stories of the people they care about the most. Welcome to the Life Story Coach Podcast, where you'll hear interviews, tips, and advice on the craft and business of personal history and life story writing, with your host, Amy Woods Butler. Hi guys, Amy here. If you've listened before, you know that this is where we talk about growing our life story business. Clients come to us because they want to write a life story book or a family history book, or maybe they want to create a life story video or audio project, something to share with their kids and their grandkids and with future generations, and they need our help. Well, that's the case with today's guest, but instead of working with clients one-on-one, he scaled up and created a company called Story Terrace. Story Terrace has been featured in places like the New York Times and The Guardian, and they recently had a hugely successful crowdfunding campaign. We're going to get into all about what Story Terrace is, what kind of services they offer, how they work with freelance writers, um, and how all of it works and comes together. But first, I'd like to take just a quick moment to introduce its founder and today's guest, Rutger Bruning. Rutger is a graduate of the University of Amsterdam and Columbia University's Business School, where he earned an MBA. Prior to founding Story Terrace, he worked in the financial industry as an investment director. So Rutger, welcome to the Life Story Coach podcast. Thanks, Amy. Great to be here. Well, we're happy to have you. I'm really excited to hear all about Story Terrace. But first, I just, you know, it's a pretty big leap that you took from the world of finance to the world of life story. Can you tell us what inspired you to create Story Terrace? Absolutely. It was much more of a sort of a, a personal journey than a professional journey in terms of starting Story Terrace, because I've regretted for way over 10 years that I didn't record my grandparents' stories. And I have been thinking ever since about why I didn't do that, even though I had that intention and why so many other people uh, don't record the stories of the people they care about the most. And so Story Terrace really came out of having had different ideas over that decade, none of which seemed really scalable to me and not really solving the issue, therefore. Um, So when I saw how easy it had become to manage freelancers online um, by some of these more generic freelancer marketplaces like freelancer.com, I realized um, not only that you could have people uh, in different places uh, do freelance work, but specifically how many great journalists and authors um, were working as freelancers and and were available to for jobs like the ones um, that I wanted them to do, such as records other people's life stories. Did you ever do any of this for your own family? Did you ever create any life stories yourself? Or did you have any of your freelancers do one for you or somebody in your family? The question is more who hasn't done one in my family by now, um, I would say. So the, the actually the first um, guinea pig was my, my stepfather. And um, my mother has just started hers. Um, my father has done his. Um, actually, I got one given for my birthday um, recently, and I have started the process to to sort of do my own, although I'm, I'm a little bit younger than the average customer. What a great idea. I mean, so you're, you have this idea, this brainchild to match up freelance writers um, with doing something that you 
have a regret that you did not do. Um, but then to use your family members, I mean, I think that's, that's very common to what most of my listeners probably have gone through too. And how I started off pretty much any personal historian or life story writer that I know is, you know, we, we use our family members as guinea pigs and, and then you can work out the problems as you go through the process, things that you didn't expect, things that you didn't know that you didn't know. Um, so, so that's, that's great. Now, was there somebody, you said that you regretted, um, not getting your grandparents' stories. Did I read something about a grandfather who was maybe involved in the resistance? Is that right? Yes, he was. And um, actually, I spent quite a lot of time with my grandparents when I was in, in school. Um, so he used to tell me a lot of stories about one about being in the resistance, but also about traveling. Um, he and my grandmother, they lived for a couple of decades in the Caribbean, uh, where he was a physician. Uh, and he played a lot of sports, which is uh, something that we really connected over. So all of those stories, once they passed away or he passed away um they just faded so quickly and so much quicker than i expected and um uh, I, I just was never able to really retell them in the same way that he told me those stories i'm not sure how old you are but you do sound a little bit young to even have that interest in the family stories because what i've found is that typically it's not until somebody gets till you know maybe their early 50s or so that they start realizing oh my parents are getting older and if i if we don't do something to collect their stories, they'll be gone forever. But it sounds like maybe that impulse struck you a little bit earlier in life. And maybe it was it had to do with the death of your grandparents. Yeah, so probably, I mean, because I also sort of experienced when our customers, so a lot of our customers give our product as a gift to their parents. Um, and um, they are on average a little bit older than when I sort of started to take an interest in, in this problem. Um, so I'm, I'm 40, but obviously I started the company about four years ago and I've been thinking about the problem a lot longer. Um, so in, in that sense, you're, you're probably right. And then the question is, why is that? Probably because I spent a lot of time with my grandparents and because I had that idea that I wanted to interview them. So when I then didn't do it, um, it was kind of a strong regret that didn't really leave me that easily. Mm-hmm. And then when you when you launched Story Terrace, you did it with the with the backing of some financial investors. Is that right? Yes. I mean, initially I started by myself, and then uh, at at some point I got a group of angel investors to to join and to help sort of get us to the next stage. Um, and then the last funding we did, as you alluded to in your introduction, was uh, a crowdfunding round. Mm-hmm. Most of my listeners are, are going to be people that are solo practitioners, you know, and most of them are have bootstrapped, you know, they they don't have investors, uh, they're, they're just going out there and starting their company with, you know, whatever savings they have. I, I know when I, I started the story scribe, that's my life story writing business, I started that back in 2010. And, you know, my my planning, my sort of market analysis was, you know, pinch my nose, close, close my eyes and jump into the deep end, you know, and hope that there's, there's, people out there who want this product. Thankfully, there are and there have been consistently throughout. And I I still believe, you know, on a gut instinct level, I believe that this market is very underserved. Um, 
But I'm guessing since you have investors, you probably did some market analysis and you probably really studied the market to see if, um, if it's a, you know, you had to tell your investors why this was a viable idea with legs. Is that the case? And is there anything that you can share with us the like any real hard numbers, I guess, um, about the state of the life story business and um, how many people want to have it done and, and why we know it is a good business to get into? Um, so where do I start? Um, because I think I, I don't have as much data as you uh, as you may think. Um, I started also the business based on, on gut feel, and I started by myself without external investors. So I don't think I was that different from you and, and, and most of your listeners in that sense. The difference is probably that um, I'm not a writer, um, um, so I wasn't starting the business because I was going to write these stories myself. So I was looking for a model that was using third-party writers or, or sort of freelancers um, and build a business around it. In terms of how big the market is or could be, I personally am on, I'm on the same side as you are. I believe that um, you know, we, we can create a movement, um, people like yourself, myself, and other listeners, by um, offering this service and by making people more aware of it, that at some point it becomes a normal part of life that you capture your own life story or that you have your mom's or dad's life story captured. So that, that's the bigger goal, which we probably all share. And how long it will take to get there is the big unknown. In terms of data and bringing external investors in, I've never been able to find really strong research around this topic. And um, we've had a little bit of research done ourselves. And uh, from that came out that about two thirds of the people would be interested to capture their parents' life story. And about a third would be willing to pay the amounts that we charge for that. So, so that's sort of as much as I can tell you here. Mm -hmm. Well, and obviously, if you if you did this crowdfunding campaign and you had so many people, um, from what I understand, you had quite a few people who became small investors in the company. I mean, that right there is proof that there is, I, I like how you called it a movement, there is this swell of interest in capturing the stories. Um, and what I think is probably the biggest hindrance isn't a lack of interest, but a lack of knowledge that there are companies like yours out there to help people gather these stories and record them and create beautiful books or other types of projects. Um, so yeah, that that movement, our biggest challenge right now, I feel, is getting the word out that yes, you can save your stories and your the elders and your family, their stories, because you know, I don't know how it is with you, but if if I'm talking to anybody that I've just met and they ask me what I do, there is immediate interest in it. You know, people just respond so well. And that's whether they're ready to have their own story or somebody else's story done. But people are just very interested in this. And and I think we live in a really good time because technology has made it possible. And I, I love the idea that you've tapped into the freelance market. So can you talk a little bit about that? Because I'm sure some of my listeners will probably be interested. You have a venue for freelancers to go out and do what they love doing best, which is telling stories. How does that whole thing work? Um, well, there's two ways to look at it. One is from the customer's perspective and one is from um, basically the, the writer's perspective. Um, from the customer's perspective, um, we want them to be able to work with a local writer 
um, someone that really matches with their with their backgrounds um, and their personality. And background can be a professional background, but it can be also an interest um, or a cultural background. And at times we also get requests for sort of um, people with um, um, specific language requirements where we would interview, for example, in, in, in Mandarin, but would write a book in, in, in English. Uh, but in any event, um, we really try to have a very widespread um, range of freelance writers uh, as part of our pool of writers so that we can offer people in very far-flung places uh, a writer that really matches um, with their background and personality. That has to be a challenge. Where are your markets right now? Are they in the UK and the US or beyond? Um, so our biggest market is the US um, and we are also active in, in the UK and in the Netherlands. And you have a stable of freelance writers for each of those locations? That's right. So in the US, we have over 200 writers in our pool, and we are adding to that every week. And is the, is the goal for the writers to be able to go and meet the storytellers in person, or are these interviews done on Skype or on phone? So 95% or maybe even more of our books are created uh, on the back of in-person interviews. So that's why we really, when we have a, a customer in Indiana, we will use a writer in Indiana. I am so impressed that you've been able to spread the net so far. That's wonderful because I, I do think, you know, just from my own standpoint, um, the in-person interviews are so powerful. Um, I've done interviews over Skype and over phone, but more with the secondary people. So not the main storyteller. If, you know, if, if their children or, or colleagues or somebody wants to add to the story or they want to have their voices in the story, then I can do those kinds of interviews over Skype or on phone. But, but the, the in-person interview can be so powerful. Um, and I'm just, the logistics of it, of what you're doing is kind of mind boggling. So if you have, let's say you have somebody from Akron, Ohio that contacts you and says, I want to, um, I want to have a life story done for myself. And you don't have anybody uh, in your pool of writers in Akron. Is that when you go out and look for somebody, a writer, I mean? Yes. So, and we would do that in two ways. We would basically go on LinkedIn and we would um, do a manual search in that area. We would approach a number of people, or if it is a, a bigger place, we may go to some other sort of online forum where we can fund writers in, in that, around that location. And the other thing is we would ask some of our existing writers who just are just slightly too far away, uh, whether they know someone. And for a typical project, um, I think that you have different levels of projects, but um, how, how many interviews, how many in-person interviews uh, take place then? For a typical project, there would be three interviews of in total around six hours. And then this is more from the, the writer's perspective. What does that look like? So you you hire, you have somebody take on a job, they're responsible for doing the interviews and for the writing. Um, are they running with this independently? Is there much, say, like editorial oversight on, on your end? Um, how does that all work? Um, so after we've, we've matched someone with a, with a writer, um, we ask them to have a quick phone call. So they get to know each other a little bit before the first meeting and they can break the ice a little bit so you don't run into a, walk into a stranger's home or invite a stranger into your home because you already had that first chat on the phone. Um, so that's really the first step and that's done between the customer and the writer. 
Then from there, um, we have a nice guidebook with, with tips and tricks um, and sort of, you know, our expectations on the process and the output and a bit of information on what our customers know and um, how we have instructed the customers so that the writer is fully aware of that. Um, so that's an online document that our writers can sort of review at any moment and, uh, and, and we update regularly. From there, the writer basically interviews the customer. They create a structure for the book, which then um, the customer approves. And um, I mean, we, we will have a look at that as well, but generally we're not so much into the details that we can really judge it. Let me let me uh, interrupt there. Yeah. When you say a structure, are you talking about an outline? Yeah, basically an outline. Just to make sure, and I would recommend that to, to anyone, to make sure that um, the, the customer is on the same page as the writer um, so that uh, after the writing is done, the, someone doesn't need to completely restructure the book. Mm-hmm. Um, from there, if that's agreed by the customer, the writer basically writes the entire text, or if it is a specifically long book, um, sometimes we would do that in pieces. But with most of our, our standard books, that would be all done in one go. We would copy edit that in-house, and then the writer would share that with the customer, take on board any of the changes the customer would like, and then they hand it over to us, and, and we take care of uh, photo collection and creating the book. Yeah, that was going to be another question that I asked because with the photos, you know, often they're so they're such an integral part of the the narrative. Um, I mean, sometimes, like for instance, if I'm working on a project and somebody has something that's um, maybe an anecdote or less than an anecdote, something some little tidbit that they want included in their story, but it's not anything that you can really fully develop in within the narrative that's where photos come in handy because you can have a long caption that captures something. Um, but that, that piece is separated out for, for your process and that's done in house. Um, is, is that, does that include the scanning and writing the captions and all of that? So in general, the photos are sent to us digitally. If customers are unable to digitize them, we do it for them occasionally. But in, in principle, they send them to us digitally and they indicate in which chapter they want them to be. So that's also why we do that after um, there's an outline for the book um, so that the customer can move them around in our online system and they can make changes um, to where they want their book. Generally, um, they write their own captions, um, and sometimes we help them with that. If, if, and we have instructions for them what we would include in captions and making sure there's an order of sort of a title, a location, and a timestamp. Oh, that's interesting. Okay, so it, it really is a collaborative process with with the customer. They're um, they're actually is there a portal or something that they can log into on yes. the website? Yes. Oh, interesting. Okay. So they're actually doing a little bit of work, um, not the writing part, but they're doing a little bit of work on on saying where they want things and how they want things to look. Is there a lot of customization that they can do, say, for the photos or um, are all the photos, are they are they interspersed through the chapters or are they all on, a, on separate pages? Now, our books are, are printed in color full, uh, throughout, which means that we can place uh, pictures anywhere. And generally, we place them at the end of chapters. Do you use a template for the layouts or are all of the layouts custom designed? So we use um, templates 
Um, yes, so we use templates. I think that's the, the simplest answer. <laughs> the short answer. Okay, very good. And then what about the cover art? Um, so for the cover, we have a, quite a few templates. And at times we fully custom create the cover. But there we have templates as well. And it uh, depends on the type of picture customers use, which template we recommend to them. But ultimately, we, we give them a few options. Um, sometimes people don't use photos. I don't know if that's your experience as well, but sometimes we get some, uh, I don't know, it could be a painting or a drawing, or um, we help customers to source someone who can turn a photo into, into some kind of artwork. There's, there's different things. We also help people creating family trees, uh, all the kind of stuff that, that may be required for the book that's not just the plain text. Right. Well, and with with your customers, so if they're, um, you know, if they're elderly and they're not computer savvy or they're not design savvy, do you find that the family members help out with these kinds of things too? So there, there are two different, I mean, it really depends on what the customer wants. Some customers love it if one of their grandchildren helps them out with the book and they kind of enjoy being part of that process. Some people really want to do it by themselves until the, the product is finished. We very often send printouts of text to customers that don't even have a, have a computer. Um, we also take people's photos. Sometimes the, the writers do take the captions, but these are really exceptions where we try to help people that are not digitally savvy. So you do the the copy editing and I assume some proofreading mm-hmm. and you do the photos and the captions and the layout all in-house. And then what do the customers end up with? Are these Do they get to decide if they want hardcover or softcover? Do they get to add more books onto the order if they'd like? Um, so standard, um, we print full color hardcover books and our customers get four with their package. They can order more. They can also order... Um, soft cover. Um, we have created um, more coffee table style books in the past as well. So there's there's different options, but the standard book is a full color hardcover book. It sounds like you know you're using freelance writers. Pretty much every step of the process that you're talking about, there's a big pool of freelancers. I mean, I know there's freelance designers, there's freelance proofreaders, copy editors, um, but you have a mixture of of using freelancers and some in-house staff. Yes, the copy copy editing and the proofread, we generally do in-house. You're starting just like any solo practitioner out there, any any life story writer. You know, we start with the marketing and we see it through to, you know, we put the book in somebody's hand. You're doing the exact same thing on a different scale. Um, but I'm sure there's some parts of the process that are a little bit more challenging. Can you talk about that? More challenging for us than when you're an individual or in general, but what we find the most challenging parts? Yeah, no, I mean, in general, like, wh- where, where are the parts that maybe are a little bit harder than other parts of your, the, your whole process? So what, what we found that customers, so we, we, we do quite a lot of customer research. Um, and what we found is that customers really enjoy the interaction with their writers. They absolutely love it. They're also very happy with the end product. They also tend to enjoy our, our sort of the sales process. The thing that they rate the lowest is the time where they need to actually create the print-ready PDF. So the time from having the text to 
having the print ready PDF, which is all the stuff with getting the photos in the right place and et cetera, et cetera. So that's really the part that we've been working on. And that's why we've bring, bring that more online so that it doesn't become this process where a customer sees a, a, a sort of a, a foolproof and they want to make a few changes we need to make that, then we get another big document that we need to send to them, which they need to check. So we really want to bring that online so they can immediately see the changes they want to make, such as moving a photo around, um, quickly changing the name in a caption, etc. That's a great idea. Yeah, because that's that's one of the bottlenecks for me too. I shouldn't say bottlenecks. That is a time-consuming process when you're getting, you think that you're at the finish line, but then there's all the small changes that have to keep going back and forth. And honestly, you know, you have to get approval too, because you don't want to, you don't want to send it off to a, you know, a printer and binder and have those little mistakes hanging out there or other mistakes that maybe they haven't noticed. So, um, and, and then, be the one who's responsible for those mistakes. So, so in, in my experience, you know, each of the rounds of changes then necessitates the, the client going through the draft and approving it, signing off again. And, and it can get frustrating for them because, you know, that's when it's not as much fun. That's when they're not in the, in the, the stage of telling their stories and sharing these really meaningful things. Um, and it gets a little technical. So I, I can understand that. So how do you find this out? Do you do, um, do you do a, a questionnaire at the end, asking them like a, a customer survey on what they liked and what they didn't like? We do two things. We do a customer survey, which just goes to any customer that completes their book, including the, the sort of if there's someone that's paid for the product but isn't the storyteller, um, where it's been a gift, we, we send it to both of them. Um, and we, on a regular basis, I would say every two to three months, everyone in the company gets assigned a number of phone numbers from people who have completed their book and we call all of them. So that includes me, um, the person who leads our, our technology development, uh, the marketing team, and basically everyone around the company gets to speak to a few customers and, and learn what they thought of the process. That is a great idea. And are, are you, do you have certain questions that you're asking them or is it just a casual conversation like, hey, hi, you know, how, how was the experience? Did you enjoy it? Um, no, we have topics that we want to get sort of through, um, but it's not really a scripted um, interview. It's a little bit like the instructions we give to our writers, which are pretty much high level and tips. And we, otherwise they have all the freedom to do the interviews any way they want to. Um, it's a little bit like this. We want to understand what people thought of the process. We want to understand what they thought of their writer, what they thought of the end product, uh, and what they thought of the of the of the sales process. Um, but within that, we try to keep it open because otherwise, we don't really hear what the customer thinks. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's that's a great tip for anybody who's doing these kinds of projects is to reach out and find out what worked for the customer and what didn't work as well, because then we can we can modify and and be better th with the next time around. Um, well, we're we're kind of getting short on time, but I I did want to ask you if you have a few more moments about I I read that you're doing something with a virtual reality life story project. Yeah, it's something that we're. Looking into, I mean, we, for, for me, I would like to help people to capture their life story in a very meaningful way. And personally, I believe a book is a fantastic medium and because you can weigh every word and you can really write the story the way you want to without feeling pressure because you can always change 
a few words or an entire chapter and delete it until the very end. But for the person consuming a book, there's also something missing, which is sort of video, voice. And um, so I've, I've, I'm, I'm basically looking into what VR can do in this, in this area. And uh, I believe VR can play a very important role where we still would create books, um, which really create a script, uh, and where we would find out what are the most meaningful stories in someone's life. And then we would basically record those in a 3D environment. And we've just done a first pilot where we did that and then use people's own photos and home videos to enhance um, that experience so that you can hear your grandfather or grandmother and, and really be in one room with them as they tell the most 10 most important stories of their life. So when you say um, you find this, you find out the stories ahead of time, are you reenacting anything or it's um it's just where they know what kind of story they're going to tell once they have the cameras on them exactly so if, if you were to ask the average person 10 questions well first of all you're not sure what to ask them if you haven't really created a book first so when i say a script i mean a manuscript for the book i don't necessarily mean that we script what people will say but we will know which 10 topics to ask a question about and from there they can talk freely about it but they have already thought about it so they don't feel under that the pressure um, that would make it difficult for them to talk already with sort of being in front of a camera is not the most comfortable thing for most people. Right. So they, they would know what we would talk about, but they talk about it in a very natural way because it's not scripted. Are these special kinds of cameras then that you have to use? Yes. So these are, are 360 cameras. Um, so that's... Um, when you put on your, your headset, um, you're really feeling like you're in one room with the, with the person that, uh, that is telling the story. Oh, I love that. I love the idea of that. I have a 19-year-old son. He's got an incredible curiosity about all kinds of things, you know, history, you know, sociology, all kinds of things. But really, video is the medium of choice. And that's what you're doing. So you're integrating something because we've shifted. You know, there's obviously a lot of readers and that will always be with us, but there is now so much video and so much that we can do with video. So you're just, you're kind of gathering everybody into the fold, right? The people who, um, who aren't necessarily going to be sitting down and reading a 150 page book about their grandfather, but would probably love to see, um, this immersive virtual reality kind of project. I, I, I like that you're doing that. I did have uh, an interview with Hillary Robeson, who has um, a company called Legacy Tale, and they're doing something sort of similar where in their book layouts, in the photos, they are, I'm not sure what the technical term is, but some something that they're embedding within the photo, somebody as they're reading the book, you know, this is a regular mm -hmm. hard copy book, um, they can they can point their smartphone on the photo and it will come up with a video um, or it will come up with an audio snippet. And um, it's not, it's not 3d, it's not virtual reality, but it's, it's bringing in those elements of uh, video and audio. And I think, you know, particularly audio is, can be so powerful when, when you're hearing the voice, especially after the person is gone. Audio is a very powerful medium to really connect to that person because our voices are just so much a part of who we are. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's just an area where we are sort of in the experimental phase and um, uh, we need to find out what the best way is to bring, bring sort of these emotions and voice and, and video across. And uh, personally, I strongly believe in, in VR, but maybe it will be something else. Um, so it's all very early days.
Well, good luck with it. What do you want to see in the, in the future for Story Terrace? What what are some of your big goals? And um, we really want to to help create a movement and really make people aware that you can now capture people's life story in a meaningful way. And honestly, if you don't do it, there's really no reason um, why you shouldn't do it. Um, and so we want to continue to make it more accessible. Um, we want to make life as easy as we can for the freelancers we work with so that they can focus on the part of the work that they love doing and that our customers want them to do, which is basically the interviewing and the structuring uh, and ultimately the writing of the book. Um, whereas all the other parts, we try to add technology to make it more efficient and, and more fun. Very good. Now, if somebody wants to get in touch with you because they are a life story writer and they're looking for some more venues, um, how do they do that? Um, it's very simple. They go to our website, storytellers.com, and there's a section on writers. And then there is within that a section on um, to become a writer. Um, and uh, they can apply through the website. Great. Well, thank you so much, Rutger. This was a really enlightening um, talk. I, I love the direction that you're taking this. And like I said before, I love this idea of it being a movement because I think that's exactly what needs to happen. This, this groundswell of interest um, and connecting people who know how to do life stories with the people who want to have the life stories done and share their story with their family. So thank you for taking the time to talk to us today. Fantastic. Thank you for having me. And that does it for our interview with Rutger Brunig. I'll put some links into the show notes, some helpful links that will include where you go exactly if you think you might be interested in writing for Story Terrace. When Rutger said that they're going out to places like LinkedIn to find life story writers, it struck me that, you know, this is not very different than the way that clients are looking for us. Um, obviously, this is one way of making it easy for yourself to be found, at least if you want to be a Story Terrace freelancer. So follow the link, get in touch. And if you do, or if you've already done some work for them, I would love to hear from you. I'd love to hear about what the experience was like. And, you know, maybe we could even do a podcast interview about it. I'm all for people finding ways to do the work that they want to do for telling life stories. If you have anything to share about this, or any other ideas on how we can find clients, they can find us, leave a comment on the lifestorycoach.com and look for episode 29. You'll also find a transcript if you'd like to download it and be able to read what we talked about with Rutger. You'll find that again in the show notes section of episode 29 on thelifestorycoach.com. And as always, if this show was helpful, head over to iTunes and leave us a review. That's the best way for other people to learn about the show and to learn about growing their life story business and just doing life stories in general. I'm so glad that you joined us today. Stay tuned for the next episode. And until then, go out and save someone's story.